0: Have you ever tried growing a garden? As we enter the season where uh, we can start harvesting some of the fruit of our labor, whatever it is, whether we have a vegetable garden or something like that, I, um, I realized that uh, you know I'm certainly not the greatest at growing much of anything. And I know as well, you could go down a big-time rabbit hole with a lifetime of learning on how to do gardening well. I've been exploring with uh, like some indoor gardening and things like that. And there's a million different... You could go in a million different directions trying to learn how to do it really, really well, but I also realized that, uh, in especially this season, God can grow a zucchini to be bulletproof. Because even in my black thumbness, um, for some massive reason, zucchini—I mean, they're—they're they're getting massive uh, in our garden, which is really cool to get to see. But I've learned as I've experimented with, uh, you know, learning a little bit about outdoor and indoor gardening, that at a base level, there are a few things that plants need. If you're doing it outdoor, just to keep it simple, you need sun, you need water, you need soil. Um, if you've got those three things, if you want a plentiful gardening, you need at least those three things, and then seeds and plants, obviously. But um, you can't get by with just one, right? If I give a plant nothing but light, it's going to give up me nothing but brown leaves because it doesn't have soil to, to get nutrients from. It doesn't have water to, to nourish it that way. But as we come to this serious conclusion on uh, us versus them, how do we engage with people that maybe we disagree with, whether they're inside the church or outside the church? How do we grow as people to kind of run with that, that terminology? What, m- what might we do that can glean respect from those who think differently, that we will allow them to want to engage with us, even if we disagree. Well, our text can for today can certainly help us out with that. And I'm going to get to the actual text that I really want to focus on in a little bit, but I want to set it up first with looking at Jesus' last words to his friends out of Luke 24. This is uh, verses 45 through 48. It reads like this. Then he, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them thus it is written that the messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from jerusalem you are the witness of these things now i really want to emphasize uh that one verse that last verse verse 48 as jesus is is talking to his friends here in in kind of his his last epilogue to his life in his ministry, and he says, you are witnesses of these things. Jesus is giving a calling to believers to be witnesses. He says similar in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the, Spirit, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, is our word, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So if Jesus is giving this calling to believers, as he has just a few more words to be able to give to people, What what does he call? He calls us witnesses. So what exactly does a witness do? A witness gives a testimony. In court is kind of the um, default way that we think of it. But a witness is one who says, this is what I know. This is what I saw or this is what I experienced. Um, And if we are a witness in court, again, to use something that we can put our our experience on and, and kind of touch and feel, if we're a witness in court Somebody there wants us to be believable. So how do we grow believability in our story to kind of go back to our gardening idea? Well, last week's message uh, might give us a a bit of an idea, but as a little bit of a reminder, there was, we covered the idea of unity, of unity in our message, Um, that what we say and how we say it, when they're cohesive, when they sort of say the same thing, um, that's unity. That gives us some believability. When I, when I say to somebody, uh, to a, my spouse, when I say, I love you through gritted teeth, it wins me zero points. And that doesn't do any good because she's not going to believe me. Right? If I say it like that and I've got anger in my voice or, or frustration in my voice, the two don't line up. So if we're called to be witnesses to the greatest love story ever written, God's love story to us, what should our witness look like? How do we build unity between this story that we're called to be witnesses to and our story, us sharing this good news to other people? Well, here's where our passage for today comes in, the one that I really want to focus on. It's Paul's letter, from Paul's letter to the Galatians in chapter 5, verses 22 to 26. It reads like this. By contrast, and we'll cover that in a little bit, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. So here's the whole point to the garden analogy that I started out with in a, uh, my introduction. When if we say fruits of the spirit, as some people do, fruits plural, we're misquoting Scripture. Okay, there's nine things listed, um, but they're not fruits; they're fruit singular. And if we're a Christian, all of these should be growing in our lives, maybe at different rates, and maybe. Different ones seem to, uh, we seem to be a little more plentiful in certain areas. Uh, Maybe love or joy over maybe patience or self-control, whatever the case may be. But if we're a Christian, all of these should be growing. Just like a plant requires all the elements that I mentioned earlier, um, nutrients, water, light, uh, soil, seeds. You won't see a plant growing with just sun. Similarly, you won't see a Christian growing with just love it just wouldn't make sense um you're going to see all of these things growing and getting more mature in a mature christian to hear jesus's words in matthew seven sixteen, where he says you will know them by their fruits are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles and jesus is talking about false teachers in this particular passage he's warning his disciples about false teachers but the same could be said about or same would be true about believers. You will know them by their fruit. There's, there's unity in who they say they are, being Christian, and how they are, um, having fruit, having love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Now, last week when we were in person here on worship on Sunday morning, we sang they'll know we are Christians by our love. Now, you could really, you could use any of the fruit and stick it into that hymn, and it works just as well. They'll know we are Christians by our joy. They'll know we are Christians by our peace. They'll know we are Christians by our self-control. That'd make for an interesting hymn, but it'd be just as true. See, it's not just about, but it's not just about the fruit of the Spirit, but about the but that starts it off. In in some translations, you'll see by contrast, the one that I read for today, um, where it says by contrast the fruit of the Spirit is. So what's Paul contrasting with the fruit of the Spirit? Well, he's contrasting, in the verses just before, with the fruit of the sinful nature. He calls it the fruit of the, of the flesh or the acts of the flesh, but that can get us to kind of limit it uh, as far as how we understand what's being, being said. And there's many things that are listed, but I really want to highlight a few of them that contrast with love and joy and peace. And those things that help to make our conversations, to run with our topic, help to make them... Fruitful help to make them continue even in disagreement. Paul's contrasting that fruit of the spirit with things like strife and jealousy and anger and quarrels and dissension and factions and envy. Traits that really make us versus them the order of the day, right? Where there's combat, where there's conflict. And by the way, that's not a good thing. You know, us versus them is meant to be, is not meant to be, this is how we're supposed to do it. But since Paul's contrasting, I want to contrast um, two conversations that I had this week to kind of put some flesh and blood on this idea of how it plays out. Uh, Earlier in the week, I had put up on Facebook, I said, I want to particularly call out my non-Christian friends. And amongst all those that I'm friends with on Facebook, most of whom I know in real life, um, there may be about half and half between Christians and non-Christians. And I asked... This question, I said, What's the most frustrating thing you guys experience when you're talking to Christians? Because I wanted to know from the angle of, you know, Christians or those in the church talking to those who are outside the church having that kind of conversation, I, if we're going to engage that way, it, it's fair to hear how we come across. You know, what does the other side hear when we're talking? Or what ruffles their feathers about uh, for those that are on the other side of the conversation? And a couple of friends responded, and we we started getting some conversations going across the entire week. And one friend, uh, he had said, "You know, I'm a self-proclaimed agnostic," or as I uh, we agreed that that was would be the right term uh, later on in the conversation. He said he, his frustrations were well captured in a quote, or in this particular quote that one of his relatives had said. He said, "Who do you think is closest to God?" He said, "It's not the devout Christian." It's the ethical atheist. This is coming from an agnostic that's saying this. Because the ethical atheist is doing the right thing just because it's the right thing to do. that can certainly, uh, amongst those who are in the church, maybe that ruffles feathers, maybe that gets us uneasy. And it probably should. If that's the way that we are being, that Christians are being perceived by those who are anything other than Christians. And to this guy's credit, I mean, this guy said all of this stuff very respectfully. He didn't get angry or, or frustrated um, or out of control or anything like that. And as we are, we kept chatting uh, throughout the week. He kept the same, you know, I can disagree with you without being disagreeable uh, vibe, or this this idea that we could actually talk and we could converse and we could uh, hash some of this stuff out without having to uh, really, you know, be at each other's throats or something like that, or trying to draw blood from each other. As a Christian, you know, trying to, um, trying to yield the fruit of the Spirit in, in my life, I have to start with thinking, you know what, I don't want to be one who perpetuates this image of what a Christian is. Um, I don't want to be one that when people look at me, they think, well, wow, a Christian is one who's angry and who quarrels and who causes dissensions and, and splits factions and all that stuff, all that sort of stuff. You know, I want people, whether they agree with me or not, to look at me and say, you know what, here's somebody who preaches the gospel every day and who uses words when necessary, as um, St. Francis of Assisi is attributed to saying. And one of my favorite quotes from him, what if the best answer to a question like that or to a statement like that, what if the best answer starts with actually listening to the question? What if... The best answer starts with actually listening to the question, actually listening to what the other side says, to what the other person says. Maybe I should put it that way. In another part of this conversation, it was going on, there were a couple different people that I was going, kind of going back and forth with. Uh, another person had contributed to the to the conversation. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, he's not a church-going person, but he made a fair statement. He, he said to my question, he said, I'm frustrated that... Christians out there will uh, absolutely crucify some sins, or some acts, and other sins, they just sweep under the rug. What's going on with that? Um, And he was frustrated about that. And I'm like, okay, it's a fair question. But you know what disarmed the whole interaction? My first response was, yep, I've asked that very same question myself. I've wondered that myself. Why do I do that? Why do the people around me do that? Why? You know, I didn't try and jump into the fray with him. Um, I didn't try immediately to, to answer his question. I simply acknowledged it. I just recognized where he was coming from. You now where does that lead? It leads to to this, and I'm gonna quote him directly in, in how this conversation went uh, across the a day or two. And he says, Again, this is best of my knowledge, somebody who doesn't go to church, who's has a particular frustration with Christians, broad stroke, says, I very much respect that as a person of faith, you respond with kindness, not anger. Hmm. That's the way I want to be perceived. Fruit of the spirit over fruit of the flesh. You know where, where that leads as well? Now, should I go back and actually try to respond to his inquiry? to his frustration and try and give an answer or an explanation to it, I'm guessing, because he perceives me that way, thankfully, um, we'd have so much more of a fruitful dialogue. Because it's not a dialogue that's built on anger or on frustration or on trying to win an argument. It's based on, yeah, I get where you're coming from. I've asked that question myself. Why do we do this kind of thing? And maybe there's things in that conversation that even if I tried to answer the, the dialogue or give a response to it, he may very well be able to teach me something in just how he sees it. And we both end up growing and we both end up having to use this idea of fruitful dialogue. So where do we go with this whole idea? Um, well, I want you to look this week. Here's my challenge. I want you to look for the places where God is growing you in these areas, okay? Jot down Paul's fruit of the Spirit on a piece of paper, note card, whatever. You happen to have handy a bathroom window, uh, bathroom window, bathroom mirror, forgive me. <laughs> um, and if you need, if you need them uh, pulled up, you can just Google fruit of the Spirit and it'll give you these nine. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the nine fr- fruit of the Spirit. And you're going through the week, make notes on here's maybe a situation where self-control mattered or where patience mattered. Okay, just recognize that. Um, maybe if your kids are, uh, you know, really getting you at wit's and you're thinking, okay, this is a time where patience would matter. And then ask yourself this question, kind of reflect on this idea, how'd it go? Was it a situation where the fruit won the day? Or do we look at it in hindsight and say, yeah, maybe I could have done something different. Now, this isn't to have right answers or wrong answers or Sunday school answers or uh, whatever. It's simply about paying attention. Because when we learn to recognize this and we're paying attention to it, we start to be able to grow in it. We're not blind to the places where God might be working on us or giving us an opportunity to, to learn or to grow. And one more thing. See, after Jesus um, gives his, this calling to his disciples in Luke 24, and he says, you're going to be witnesses. In the very next verse, he says in Luke twenty four forty nine, he says this, And see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. He's promising, after he gives them the call to be witnesses, he is promising them the Holy Spirit, the one who produces this fruit in us. Now, I am guessing that nothing would make Jesus happier than to have this fruit grow in our lives. And thus, he sent us the Holy Spirit to be the master gardener, to grow this love, this joy, this peace, this patience, all this stuff in our lives. Thank God for a gift like that, for a love story like that. Let's pray together. God, thank you for writing us into this love story that you have created that no human author could have come up with. Thank you that you love us even when our this fruit in our spirit in our hearts is is small or maybe even turning brown in places, you still love us enough to stay with us, to, to have your spirit go to work even more in us. Help us, allow us through that spirit to be transformed from the inside out that we might be able to see this, this fruit grow in our lives and may, that we may be those who are able to share the gospel every day and use words when necessary. Amen.